This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Happy birthday to you. Hey, where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740. Well, there we go. (laughs) Turn on the light, dummy. All right, welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. My name is Richard Serrett, and this is The Conspiracy Show. An honor and a privilege uh, to be with you as always. Thanks for the uh, cookies, Dr. Ginescu. Uh, They're good for dipping. That's uh, the good uh, Dr. George Ginescu, who hosts Big Band Sunday Night here on our flagship station, AM740, the program that precedes this one. Uh, Summer is winding down. And a, a few rare opportunities, I guess, still remain to get the uh, the boys out to Bluffers Beach and to watch the sunset and enjoy a bonfire, maybe squeeze in one last fishing trip, a few more ball games. Speaking of which, how about those Blue Jays? I, I got to tell you, I got a feeling this could be our year. It is, uh, it's been, what, 23 years? So we are due. We are long overdue. Uh, Albert Vinzel is here running our Google Hangout tonight. And uh, to join, uh, just go to the uh, Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, and click on the HOA link near the top of the feed. Then you can see me in studio. And uh, our first guest tonight is uh, uh, is not using the webcam, but you can hear his end of the conversation. And there's a ton of interesting pictures in the slideshow that you'll be able to view. And Albert has also posted his usual assortment of fascinating tidbits and news items in the slide carousel up at richardserrett.com. There's a really cool story titled, How to Call the International Space Station. Uh, Last week, amateur radio enthusiast Adrian Lane sent a call signal to the International Space Station. And to his shock and delight, he got a reply. He chatted with an astronaut for about 45 seconds before the station went out of range. And if you're interesting, if you're interested uh, in following up, that story is there, again, at richardserrett.com in the slide carousel. If you're re- interested in reaching out to um, the uh, souls of the dearly departed, there's another how-to guide up on the uh, website entitled 20 Ways to Contact the Dead. Uh, and just in time for tonight's interview with a victim of electronic harassment, an important read on electronic harassment from the perspective of a targeted individual. Again, those are just a few of the stories we've posted on the website slide carousel at richardserrett.com. Uh, and a quick note about the website. Over the years, 
I have uh, come to realize that a lot of you have trouble finding the website because of the spelling of my last name, S-Y-R-E-T-T. I suppose I could change my last name, but it's served me well for the last half century, and it's far easier for me to change the URL on the website, so that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be rebranding the website in just a few weeks. It'll be unveiled, and from that point on, I'll be directing you to strangeplanet.com. Strangeplanet.com. Not yet. It hasn't been unveiled. I'm just giving you the, the heads up. It's easy to remember. It's easy to spell. And then from that landing page, that home page, you'll be able to go in one of three directions. You can go to the radio page, which will look pretty much the same as it does now. You can go to the TV page, and that's the, the home of the conspiracy uh, television program. And you can go to a, a live events page for news on upcoming live events. So again, just a heads up. Strangeplanet.com will be the new website. Uh, speaking of the TV program, I will be making an announcement about Season 4 probably next week, and this will be very good news, folks. So listen for that. I have, uh, I have a lot of mail tonight, uh, but before I do that, very quickly, uh, Albert, do you have the camera ready? We have our new technical producer who is with us, Ian Robertson. Now, you've been with us a couple of weeks, but this is our first time uh, meeting face-to-face. So, Ian, welcome aboard. Can we see him? And I don't know if we're, we're actually streaming, uh, Albert. On my, uh, We are. We're streaming. The HOA is up and running. Excellent. I'm not seeing it on my Mac here, but no matter. There, he, <laughs> there is Ian flexing his, uh, those guns of his. Look at him. He looks, you look like you're 14 years old. No. I have socks older than you. All right. He's a, he's a good-looking kid in there, and he's our new technical producer, so... Many years, and uh, welcome aboard again. Uh, Lots of mail tonight. Before we get going here, I just wanted to mention this. Really terrific mail. And I have one here from Australia. Um, R.P. Holt, who is uh, watching the TV show and very much enjoying the TV show, which airs in Australia. Uh, He says it's on the History Channel down there, but I believe it's Fox. I may be wrong about that. I'll have to check with my my partner, my TV partner at Film One. However, uh, R.P. Holt... In Victoria, Australia, he says, Your show, The Conspiracy Show, is a great venue to put events out to us. I watch whenever it's on and thoroughly enjoy. He goes on to talk about specific um, uh, specific episodes. Um, anyway, he then continues, Richard, would you please come over to meet with me at my home, and I can give you some very important material. Also, you could have a great little holiday. I feel sure you will not be disappointed. All right. Well, thanks for the invite, Mr. Holt. Uh, maybe one day I will make it to Australia. Uh, now, very quickly, I want to read this letter because this is important and it's apropos. And, and I don't want to identify this woman by her full name, and she writes in longhand. Um, she's in South Carolina. She writes, To whom it may concern, my name is Kay. Uh, she goes on to say that she's been blacklisted by the shadow government, which controls most of the globe. She says she's being framed for some kind of sexual abuse or deviant behavior and feels sure she will not live long. I've been writing, researching, and studying the media from all sides and have come to the conclusion that we have all been duped for years, she goes on. I'm sending the enclosed documents for your perusal and will follow up with a flash drive with everything I've collected since the uh, surveillance began in earnest in the mid-1990s. Please pass uh, this information on to anyone interested. And uh, it goes on for quite uh, some time, and then there are some attached documents, which I'll look at later. But, you know, I get one of these letters or emails now, about once a week. I kid you not. Uh, 
very sincere individuals who believe they are being targeted. And I say this letter is timely because we're going to be talking about electronic harassment for the next 40 minutes or so. Now, I say harassment, but that's really a, a, a misnomer. It's really electronic torture. And as I say, I receive weekly correspondence now from people who believe they are being remotely targeted, tortured by some type of directed energy weapon. They're being monitored, tracked. Their sleep is being disrupted. And that is only the beginning. Voice-to-skull technology being utilized. And that technology is real, folks. 100% voice-to-skull technology exists. Michael Fitzhugh Bell has been with us before. He's um, back with us again. He tells a true story of an innocent man becoming the unwitting target of a secret criminal organization using high-tech weaponry, microchip implants, and mind control on its victims, leaving no evidence. The organization, he says, is covert, highly organized, well-funded, and uses the latest technology. This heinous, unconscionable crime has gone global and rapidly has become a huge national problem. Michael Fitzhugh Bell has been drugged, abducted, he says, raped, surgically implanted with illegal microchip implants, all done without his knowledge or consent. He's being tracked, stalked, and tortured 24-7 and physically burned remotely with directed energy weapons, which most people don't even know exist. His every thought and feeling is being read in real time by his perpetrators via GPS and current cellular satellite systems, making him quite literally a human piñata. Michael Fitzhugh Bell is uh, the author of Invisible Crime, Illegal Microchip Implants and Microwave Technology and Their Use Against Humanity. Michael, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Hello, Richard. Thank you for having me back. It's nice to be here. It's been a few years uh, since we, yes, we spoke to you last. it's been a couple years. Uh, it's nice to be here again. Well, how, how are you? Give us an update. How are you physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually? How are you doing? Um, I have to say it's very challenging uh, being targeted, um, and I'm, and thank you for the intro. Uh, uh, so some of the people that really aren't familiar with this crime um, may have some idea. It's uh, very difficult in terms of just survival, whereas before, before this crime hit me, I was having a regular life as a, um, as a chef, as a writer, screenwriter out in Hollywood, and um, this crime came in and stopped my life in its tracks, just absolutely stopped it, and um, it overwhelmed me with fear, and then trying to explain what was happening to me, to other people, especially my family members, law enforcement, neighbors. Uh, it, it really put me, it puts the, the victim in the absolute worst position they could possibly be in. Uh, in many ways, making the victim their own worst enemy. It's, that's how cleverly designed this crime is. Right, they, they pit family member against family member because it's happening to you, uh, but it's not happening to, let's say, for example, brothers, sisters, parents, and then they begin to doubt you. So now you're isolated, you're ostracized, uh, and that's how they break families apart. That's correct. That's correct. It's You have to... And also, 
the thing is that most people, the, the, it's, what it is is this crime, the sophistication of the technology makes it very difficult for people to grasp and understand the capabilities that now people actually have the capability to interface with the human mind directly. It's, it's what it really is, Richard. Is it's, it's a weapon system. They're hacking the human brain. That's correct. Actually being able to read a person's thoughts as they're happening, as they occur in real time, it's, it's uh, the most sophisticated, it's a weapon system. I, well, I, say, I call it uh, electronic torture because the word harassment is used, and that to me downplays the severity of what's going on. Oh, for, those who are so... unf- for those who are unfamiliar, run through sort of the litany of, of I'm, I'm, I won't use the word symptom, but the, um, the effects that, that you are subjected to. Uh, run down some of these, these uh, the, the physical, mental tortures that are being perpetrated against you. Well, you were nice to, to uh, recognize the title. Electronic harassment is the coined term, but it is in actuality electronic torture, uh, electronic slow kill, ele- electronic assassination. Uh, it's uh, absolutely... Um, it's especially for new victims. It's it never gets any easier, but it's uh, what what a victim experiences is twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, pain, either shooting pains or stings or a dull pain in specific areas of your body, uh, wherever you are, uh, in an airplane, at a hotel, at a restaurant. Um, outside, at the beach, anywhere you are, uh, you you can get attacked, and there is no letting up. There is no there is no point where you've had enough and and and, and it's done. It's 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 never ending and ongoing, and it's uh, some of the some of the effects I would say uh, can be anything from dull aching pains to sharp pains to blurry vision, to dizziness, even to the effect that this technology can actually simulate the effects of drugs on the victim, making the victim feel drowsy, making them feel like they can't sleep. So if you were in in an important meeting, if you were in an an important meeting, let's say, uh, could they cause you to fall asleep in the middle of that meeting? Meeting? Could they make you blurt out certain things, almost like you had Tourette's? They could, but also what happens more often than not is you get bombarded by so many different inputs that it's difficult to even make a decision sometimes. It's, uh, it's overwhelming. Uh, what about yes, heart palpitations? Can they make your heart rate? Can they make your heart race? That's that's correct. They can, can they can affect your heart rate, your motor cortex, um, your urges. Um, it's it's uh, your the temperature of your body. You know, as soon as you go to sleep, if you can go to sleep, often you'll be it, whether it's winter or summer, 
you'll be perspiring, and then you'll take the blankets off, and you'll be freezing, and then it's it's back and forth. There's no comfort zone. There's no there's no um, no relief. Michael, listen, I've got to take a timeout. Stay put. We'll come okay. back. Michael Bell, author of Illegal, sorry, The Invisible Crime: Illegal Microchip Implants and the Microwave Technology and Their Use Against Humanity. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Uh, Before we get back to our conversation with Michael Fitzhugh Bell, just a quick note, because I just received this email. I mentioned off the top of the show about uh, rebranding the website. It's going to be strangeplanet.com. And a number of people immediately emailed and said, oh, no, what about my membership? And am I going to have to re-register? No, no. Uh, the, The radio... Uh, page, which is richardsayer.com. Nothing will change there. If you've got a membership, you're fine. It's just, it's going to be easier for people to find Strange Planet as a landing page, and then from there you can go to the radio, the TV, wherever. All right, so not to worry, but thank you for uh, for bringing that to my attention because that's important to address. Now, uh, the uh, the Google Hangout is streaming nicely. Thank you to uh, Albert Venzel for that uh, here in studio. And if you go on, uh, if you join the link, uh, and you can find it at the top of my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, We've got this um, uh, really powerful slideshow there. We're speaking with Michael Fitzhugh Bell, who is a, uh, a victim of electronic torture. And there, there are some photographs uh, that we're looking at, Michael. Uh, many people are not on the stream, so they're not going to be able to see those. But uh, there are pictures of a number of um, surgical procedures that have been performed on you, things that have been removed from your person, from your body. That's Explain correct. for those who are not able to see those and those that are, actually, what are we looking at here? What are these images of these things that have been removed from your body? I had, well, actually, I've had one. Uh, you have uh, several images. Some of them, I think, are MRIs of um, foreign bodies in, 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 embedded in my body. Uh, the actual... Um, thing that was removed from my body is actually what's known as a nanotechnology illegal biomedical implant. And that was removed from my jaw. I had to go to about 10 different doctors. Nobody wanted to touch me. I knew that there was something definitely wrong when I had to go to 10 different doctors to get this thing removed. And finally, I found a doctor who was willing to remove it. And um, it took him about an hour to get it out of my jaw. He thought it was going to be a five-minute job. And it was uh, about the size, a half the size of a, of a BB. And um, it was what I believed to be a biomedical implant. And technically, if you have something removed from your body that's not organic, the courtesy, the, the, I'm sorry, the... Um, the actual the protocol uh, retainership, yes, the protocol, the, the retainership of that, whether whether it's a bullet, whether it's a piece of wood, whatever is being removed from your body, is the ownership of the person it's being removed from. Right. Otherwise, it's and, medical waste and it's disposed of. Correct. And I asked to keep this. I actually photographed it, but the doctor was extremely adamant about me keeping it, and. I don't. He said he wanted to send it to pathology to have it examined, and then it would be returned to me. And then I never saw it again. I went. I, I, I called many times. I went back. They wouldn't return it to me. They said it's been. It was just a mucoid formation. 
But you can clearly see in the photograph that was taken live right out of me and on the table uh, out of my jaw. And my mother was right there watching as my witness. And um, uh, there was clearly something majorly wrong to, to, to be so... The, the doctor was mad. The more I challenged him to keep this object that was removed from my jaw, the more angry he became to the point where he had to use his authority and say, that's it, I'm keeping it, it's going to pathology, that's it, no further discussion. All right, so and I, now you've shown I, these I, photographs to, uh, to uh, let's call them uh, experts in this arena, those people that are familiar uh, with electronic uh, torture and uh, uh, targeted individuals. Have you shown these these pictures that you think are biochips and, and biomedical devices? Uh, and if so, what have they said? Yeah, every, every person that I know that, that knows about these illegal uh, biomedical implants uh, recognizes that uh, this is clearly something that is not natural. Uh, it's not part of the human body. It's not part of nature. Uh, there was one of the images I sent you is an MRI before it was removed, and you can clearly see four white, dense objects in my lower jaw. This being one of the ones that was removed, I now have three left uh, just in my jaw alone. But everyone who's looked at it, to answer your question, has agreed that it, it is definitely what something of what these devices look like. They're completely uh, encapsulated. Um, they have their own power source that's a battery that is actually charged by, believed to be charged by the, the person who it's embedded in, and it's uh, activated by frequencies, either microwave frequency, electromagnetic frequency, or radio frequency, and um, for the purpose, for the, for the people like, well, why would somebody do that? It's for the sole purpose of trauma-induced behavior modification. So they're actually, instead of saying something like mind control, this, this electronic harassment, as they refer to it as, is actually changing slowly, subtly over time a person's, what is believed to be a person's urges, emotions. If you can control somebody's emotions and their urges and their tendencies, then over time you can actually control the person's thoughts and change their thoughts forever. Now, the, the, uh, the, the million-dollar question, of course, and I always ask this, and um, I usually get the same answer, uh, which is, I have no idea, but why do you suspect you're being targeted? You're a, you're a chef. You don't have state yeah. secrets. You weren't working for oh, I, some you know military industrial uh, company. Why you? Right. Well, I, I, I can tell you, uh, I've talked to hundreds of targeted individuals, and I know for sure that I'm. I can pretty much bet that I am just a an experiment. For the government, I represent some sophisticated form of an experiment uh, in which they're testing this extremely advanced nanotechnology on human beings. It's 
the greatest, the, the biggest crime against humanity ever. Uh, human experimentation in the worst sense of it, uh, being used, I am actually being used as a guinea pig or a lab rat by comparison. Do you, are you able to pinpoint roughly, well, that's a contradiction, are you able to pinpoint when these devices were implanted? In other words, you have a record of missing time. Yes. Yes, I, I, I definitely know exactly when I was taken in what, was, what can only be described as a military abduction from my apartment from several different apartments in Hollywood, California, where I was living at the time. And one time I was uh, taken at night and returned, well, I thought was the next morning, I was returned back to my room, and an entire week had gone by. And I remembered bits and pieces of it. And uh, it's uh, just, just to put it, just to put things in proper perspective from the amount of terror that, that a target experiences, uh, to put it in proper perspective, if Hollywood were able to accurately capture and portray this crime in a film, it would make the scariest movie ever made, The Exorcist, look like a children's bedtime story by comparison. Well, I, uh, a couple of years ago, I, I shot a pilot um, I, for the Discovery Network in the U.S. Uh, on this very to- topic. And I, I, um, I don't know, quite frankly, if that pilot will ever air. There was some suggestion it might air this fall, but I'm not holding my breath at this point. You know better th- than most how Hollywood works <laughs> and, yeah. how, and what happens to pilots and so forth. However, we, we did a pilot, and Dr. John Hall and I participated in this pilot, and it was a... It was a damn good program, uh, and we were really hoping that it might get picked up for for a series because I think it would have done a lot of good. But I, um, what struck me in speaking with victims, uh, and one of them was a gentleman in Seattle who had other issues. Uh, it was clear he had a, a, a drug habit. Uh, it, it was clear that there were some mental health issues. However, I, when, I, when, when that happens, when you're confronted with an individual who has these other issues, that to me does not discount uh, you know, their, the veracity of their story. Because my understanding is that these perps, whoever they are, will often pick someone who has been compromised in some way because they'll never be believed. That's correct. That's correct. They often will pick somebody who, as you said, has some kind of a, um, either an alcohol or a substance abuse problem because automatically they're going to be less credible. And certainly by any, any law enforcement or family members that know them well enough, they know all the ins and outs of these people. And so when something um, horrific like this happens to them, they simply refuse to believe it, no matter what. What's going on in your family? Uh, have you been ostracized? Are you, are you, or are your parents, your family members, supportive? Do they believe you? Um, I have one member of my family who, um, well, most of the, most of them, they they they, are, as you said, most of the people. I, it, what happens is I cannot even talk about quote unquote it. 
anymore. They, family members do not want to hear about it, and therefore it's best for targeted individuals not to even discuss it because even if you're able to convince someone, it doesn't do you any good. It doesn't stop anything from happening, uh, and, and there's nothing they can do anyway. Uh, it's it's beyond their ability to to believe. Um, I have to say, and it is you have to understand. Uh, I mean, I, I uh, you have to sympathize almost. It is almost yeah. too incredible to believe, isn't it? Well, that's it is too it's it's too incredible to believe. But but it's also it's the fact that this this crime, in order to make it happen, it's just a smaller piece of the puzzle. But it, it actually. It's so sophisticated in nature that it involves every aspect of science, neuroscience, physics. Agreed. Listen, got to jump out, jump out here and take a, take a break, Michael. We'll be back. Michael okay. Fitzhugh Bell, The Invisible Crime, Illegal Microchip Implants and Microwave Technology and Their Use Against Humanity. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Welcome back. Michael Fitzhugh Bell, my guest, a long-time a victim of electronic torture, mind control, uh, and the author of the invisible crime, and again on the um, the Google Hangout uh, on air, the Hangout on air uh, stream. There's a slideshow playing. If you happen to be on there, you can see these images. One of the things that that strikes me now, as I'm looking at the uh, the scar tissue, the um, the d- these artifacts that have been removed from your body, is the similarity between your story and other targeted individual stories. And the whole alien abduction uh, phenomenon, and I'm wondering whether you've ever thought about the uh, the parallels, because of course one of the theories about the the alien abduction phenomenon is that it is a uh, the abduction the alien abduction is is a um, some sort of a uh, a psyop or a cover story. In other words, these people who think they've been abducted by aliens, this is a, a memory that's been inserted into their mind, and that technology exists. I mean, I've read about this at MIT. Uh, so that they think they've been abducted by aliens, but in fact they have been abducted and uh, implanted in the same manner that you have, and countless of you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of other people. Have you thought about that? Uh, yes, I, I did that crossed my mind briefly, but I have what's called a photographic memory, and even though I was drugged, uh, I still remember bits and pieces, and I know um, the pe- it was people, it was human beings that took me, and it was probably members of the government or the military. Um, that did cross my mind, and I believe that Perhaps, as you said, that sometimes that may be a cover story that that uh, that is given to people to believe that they were actually taken by aliens when it was really just the government uh, using them as experiments and then passing it off as this science fiction to cover themselves and to get away again and always uh, stay in the clear and never get caught, um, as the government always seems to manage to do. What is happening with you right now? I mean, are you able to alleviate or get from, out from under any of these effects? Do you sleep in a Faraday cage or, or anything like that? 
Uh, I do use countermeasures. I do use uh, magnets, neodymium magnets. I have devoted a whole chapter to that in the book. Um, I do use several different methods of shielding, um, and they do help whatever methods I've, I've used. They do help to some degree, but nothing completely eliminates it. These frequencies are um, what I believe to be... There are there are microwave, there could be electromagnetic radio, but I believe that the frequencies being used on me are military frequencies that are too high or too low on the scale to actually be measured by any conventional uh, equipment. Any electronics expert, they don't even make equipment to measure this type of technology. So it's, it's uh, and also this this uh, technology that's being used on me, the directed energy, uh, is actually considered to be a weapon of mass destruction. That's how advanced and how sophisticated, as I was just saying before we went to break, this involves every aspect of physics, psychology, mathematics, and all of human knowledge, including war tactics and techniques, are all involved in this crime. Uh, just, uh, I wanted to read this uh, email very quickly. Uh, Chris in Toronto writes, Hello, Richard, long-time listener. I have to question the claims of a shadow government blacklisting people. That referred to a, a, an email I re- or a letter I received from a woman who believes she's being targeted in South Carolina. Uh, he writes, I have been poking the bear for 16 years and have never seen any of this electronic torture. I would think that myself, the perfect snuff movie actor with no family or friends so no one would miss me would be a prime candidate for such a program if it existed Uh, i believe a lot of what your show and others present but this one seems unlikely and having spent time in shelters and on the streets i've seen a few guys that have claimed this but have proved to be unstable individuals usually on some medication that they were not that they are not taking Uh, one guy is convinced was convinced the police were aliens and they came from the north pole hence the name police a pole ice, in other words, after months listening to his circular thought process, and it was a small circle, it became obvious he was, quote, end quote, nuts. Just my nickel's worth. Uh, keep up the good work, Chris, in uh, Toronto. Okay, I can tell you what's going to happen immediately following this show, Michael, and I'm going to get a deluge of emails and maybe a few voicemails saying, how could you have this poor uh, person on the air who is obviously delusional, suffering from some mental health issue, uh, and I'll be accused of exploiting you. This happened the last time we had on uh, you on the, on the program. What do you say to people who, uh, Chris, who writes this email and others uh, who, who, who say, this is not happening. Poor Michael is obviously mentally ill. Well, I'm sure that's, that's, that's what the, it's, it's the perfect crime in that sense in that it covers its own tracks, that the, the person won't be believed, they'll be discredited, uh, the, 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 the crime leaves so little evidence. The evidence that I did have, you see, I did have something removed from me. It was very difficult to have that removed. And then once I got it removed, it was immediately taken away from me. There's a reason for that. Uh, otherwise, they would have just let me keep it. Uh, and anyone who doesn't believe it, um, just it, it's because the sophistication of this crime, it's really a weapon system is what it is, is an I'm an experiment. In the future, it's a long-range goal to, and, it, and right now, it's being used on hundreds of thousands of targeted individuals around the world. Of that, uh, I have no doubt. Of that, after, I have after, no doubt. That, 
but the, the but the grand plan is to scale this to the entire population. So one day we will all be a targeted individual. Maybe the next That's term targeted where this is going. The next term and will be targeted neighborhoods. Yeah, the people that are non-targets today can become victims tomorrow. Okay, got to take another break, Michael. Stay put. We'll come back. Richard Serrett, The Conspiracy Show, Michael Fitzhugh Bell, targeted individual. Back with more. Stay with us. Uh, Michael Fitzhugh Bell uh, stays with us here on the program for a few moments yet. Michael, what about voice-to-skull technology? Do you hear voices? No, I actually, um, there are two different formats for this um, the electronic harassment. One is the V2K, which is a proven technology, and the other is also another proven to exist technology, which I get called sublim- silent subliminal sound presentation, which is a a very high pitched um, ringing, almost like a tinnitus that I hear 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it. It changes in pitch. It, sometimes it gets louder, sometimes it gets lower, but I do not hear any voices, although I know most of the people that I know that are targeted individuals do hear the voices. I get this silent subliminal sound presentation, and that is actually also another proven uh, declassified government technology. All of, this, all of these technologies were created by the government, and obviously for a reason. And as I was saying before, it's being scaled, the capabilities to the entire population for the reasons of control and power and money. You mentioned tinnitus. Uh, My good friend, Dr. John Hall, who uh, I I believe is one of the leading experts in this field, and he he examines um, outside of... Yes, I know him. Right, of course. It would make sense that you would. now, he tells me, Dr. Hall tells me, that often the voice to skull will begin as tinnitus. And, and tinnitus, is, it's, it's very common. I mean, a lot of people suffer from it. Uh, I, I know many people who have tinnitus. Uh, it begins often as tinnitus, and then almost as if the perps are trying to determine, you know, the right frequency or however that works, uh, and then that tinnitus eventually, at some point, becomes full-blown voice-to-skull. But in your case, you're saying that it, 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 it uh, presents as sort of a tinnitus, and it's sort of remained there at that That's level. That's correct. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's the sound that you would hear of a frequency. Uh, the, the, maybe the sound of... The only thing I can compare it to is the humming of old-fashioned fluorescent light bulbs, like those long bulbs that make that, that buzzing sound. Right. Similar to that. Are you hearing it all the time, 24-7? All all the time. Sometimes it's louder than others. And if you were to go inside, step inside a Faraday cage or have some sort of shielding device, does it stop then? Um, I I have not had the uh, pleasure of stepping inside one of those uh, Faraday cages before, but I have had feedback come off of my ears before from both a bullhorn, if I put a bullhorn up to my ear, you'll get loud feedback, or also uh, in an airplane using uh, a Bose uh, headphones, when I push the headphones into my ears, loud-pitched 
A loud, high-pitched squeal can be heard, feedback coming from me, from the, uh, as a reaction with the microphone or whatever's in the, um, the headphone on the, uh, when I was on the plane. And, I, and the, the person next to me, I'm like, can you hear that? And they're like, what is that? I'm like, you know, I, I didn't want to tell them what it was. Well, that's interesting that, that you would have that on a plane because what is a, the cabin of a, uh, or the fuselage of a, of, a, of a jet airliner if not a Faraday cage? Right. You'd think. You'd think that there would be a break in the signal, but never. Never. Never, never a break in a plane. Uh, I have talked to people that have actually been, I knew a person, I know a person now that, that says that he has been in a tunnel, a rock tunnel, and in the deepest part of it, actually, everything shut off. He was far enough down where he wasn't bothered, and he, he gets the V2K. He hears the voices, and he said, actually, everything was silent. He felt relaxed the way he used to feel before this happened to him. Um, and I haven't been there. It's a cave. I'm... I'm He's going to take me at some point, I, I, and I'd like to experience that too, but I have not had uh, noticed a, a, any difference under any circumstances. What about Roger Tolsis from Bug Sweeps in, in uh, Los Angeles? Has he? Have you been in consultation with him, and, and has he offered? I did. That's, I, 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 Roger, Roger's a friend of mine, and I, um, I initially saw him as a client, and he measured frequencies coming off of me, and I got a report from him. Um, and uh, he's very familiar with uh, what is described by every target individual that I know. And several of the targets that I know have actually been to Roger also. That's how he put me in touch with them uh, initially. And have you been and down to San Antonio to see Dr. Hall? I did. I actually had, I, uh, I, I went to San Antonio uh, to visit with him. Uh, when I was there to have uh, another extraction done on my navel, on my stomach. And uh, I met him when I was there during that time that I was in San Antonio. And uh, this time I had uh, irrefutable medical evidence of a frequency emitting from my navel and a scar there, and I went to have it removed, and under only local anesthesia, not general, I was awake, uh, they opened me up and they closed me back up again and did nothing to me. They didn't remove anything, although I had ultrasound and MRIs showing something that was there. They claimed that they couldn't find anything. Uh, but what I think what happened is between the time that I first went to see the surgeon and the time that I actually had the surgery, I believe that the government stepped in and spoke to him and probably threatened him that he was going to lose his practice if he did anything to help me. And if he did anything to remove me, he was going to, that, that he's probably, they probably threatened his family. I don't know, but the, he, the, this, the surgeon opened me up and closed me back up and did nothing. And I was awake for the entire procedure. Where, where do you go from here, Michael? I mean, how do you endure this? How do you keep going? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I, I, I live now to uh, 
spread the word to other people. The only way to get this this terrible uh, crime to stop is by raising people's awareness around the globe. Um, as I was saying before, non-targets, people that are not affected by this crime today that they're aware of, can become victims tomorrow. And especially people who go and get elective and cosmetic surgeries provides a, a wonderful opportunity to be implanted or the other way of, of that people are getting, the other way that Dr. John Hall believes is that people are having their brain frequency scanned and then read their actual resonance, their resonance frequency. Every person gives off a, a different brain frequency, much like a fingerprint. Everyone's is unique. Once that is measured, and this is what's widely believed, and fed and calibrated into a supercomputer, then fed to a satellite, then this is what his book was about, Satellite Terrorism in America. And uh, by taking a person's resonance frequency, which emanates naturally from their brain, they can actually target a person from anywhere on Earth. Remote, anywhere that they are, at any time. Is that what they call remote neural monitoring? Correct. Correct. That is the correct terminology. My word, what they have at their disposal. You know, I, I was speaking recently, uh, hosting Coast to Coast uh, last night, and I had uh, Joseph Farrell on my program, uh, who has written extensively over the years about uh, this post-war Nazi uh, empire uh, and the the trillions now they have at their disposal uh, to pour into black ops, uh, and you and you think about whoever's responsible, but you think about the money that has been poured poured into black ops, the technology that they would have at their disposal. I remember speaking with uh, someone someone at uh, Sony uh, in the R and D. This was about fifteen years ago, in the research and development uh, department. And he said that we have stuff sitting on the on the shelves, gathering dust, because we've determined it. the The public is not ready for it yet. So, and you go back to people like Ben Rich, who was the director at Skunk Works at Lockheed Martin, saying, you know, we have things sitting in hangars in the air in the in the desert that are fifty years beyond your wildest imagination. That's so I, right. I, I just throw that out there for people who think this can't be happening. The technology doesn't exist. Well. To know the truth, first you must know the lie. True enough. And that, and, True enough. And, that, and, that, and that is the lie that's being perpetrated by the government to cover up their advancements and their, um, their greed for power and control. And, and it's frightening to think how far it's, it's gone. And, and as you said... Whatever we're seeing now, they're already 50 years or 60 years ahead of, uh, of where, what, what they're allowing to be out there. Nothing comes on the market without going through the government first. There's no, there's no miracles that are coming out there. Any, any new technologies uh, are technologies that the government is done with, and now they're, they're ready to make money on it. Uh, all, the, all the newest stuff we won't see for another 50 years. And you need to get the ear if you haven't already done so. I mean, you're sitting there in Hollywood, and I, and if memory serves, you 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 you've done some screenwriting, have you not? Correct, I have. I've yeah. done I've done 
I've tried my hand at screenwriting. and What, uh, what I was going to say is you need to get the ear of someone like an Oliver Stone. We need an Oliver Stone movie to really blow this thing wide open the, the way he did for JFK. It was Oliver Stone's JFK that started the release of many of those uh, documents uh, by right. Congress. So he needs to do the same thing for targeted individuals. Yeah, if, if, Hollywood, if, if Hollywood got a hold of it and did it the right way, uh, it would it would blow everyone's mind and it would be presented the way it deserves to be presented instead of just in bits and pieces and um, not delivered as a whole, which would really needs to be done. Well, Michael, uh, you're a hero. I, um, I applaud your efforts and um, just enduring what you've endured uh, and still be alive, you, um, well, you're a hero. And I appreciate and you're nice you, to say that. I appreciate you spending some I, time I, with us. Well, thank you for having me on the show for a second time, Richard. It's really nice to be back with you. Thank you so much. All right. Well, listen. Stay in touch. Tell us uh, from time to time. Drop in. Tell us how you're doing. And again, the book is "The Invisible Crime: Illegal Microchip Implants and the Microwave Technology and Their Use Against Humanity." Michael Fitzhugh Bell: A True Story. All right. The uh, the portal for the Conspiracy Show is, of course, richardserrett.com, but that will soon change. It'll be Strange Planet. I'll let you know when we switch things over. In the meantime, say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett, and as always, follow the truth. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show, with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, your camper, RV, your cabin in the woods. And a special hello uh, to those of you listening in on our flagship station, AM740 Zoomer Radio, online at zoomerradio.ca. Now, this is cool. Uh, in a few weeks, uh, this program will also be simulcast on Zoomer's new FM transmitter here in Toronto. So if you have trouble picking up the show uh, on AM740 in the downtown core because of all the overhead wires and the steel and glass condos and office buildings, uh, relax, because in just a few short weeks, you're going to be able to listen to this program and others on Zoomer Radio on uh, our new 96.7 FM frequency, a new transmitter uh, or transmission, uh, again, within the city. And that'll be launching very soon, in September. I don't have an exact date yet, uh, but that is great news. A hearty uh, how-do to all of you listening in on one of our U.S. affiliates, and special thanks to uh, Chris Whitting and uh, the whole team at Syndication Networks. All of you all over the world listening in on the podcast. Uh, it is everywhere, uh, through iTunes, Podbay, Stitcher Radio, of course, the Conspiracy Show app, which is available as a free download at uh, the Google Store and iTunes. Wait till you get a load of this app, if you haven't already. It is amazing. A very sophisticated piece of technology. And uh, thanks again to Sharon Forster for that. Uh, so wherever and however you are listening, I welcome you. Uh, just a reminder, we are doing an HOA, a Hangout on Air, uh, which for the uninitiated, it means we're streaming the show on YouTube in real time. So it's radio with video. So if you want to see my sorry face and enormous head, uh, go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, 
And at the top or near the top of the Twitter feed, you'll find a link to the HOA. You just click on it and you're in. You're in the inner sanctum. Uh, so much going on. I want to uh, carve out a little time in the next few weeks to discuss Donald Trump. Uh, love him or hate him, this is a watershed moment in U.S. history, maybe global history. And I, I really believe about 90%, maybe 99% of the pundits on mainstream media are missing the point of Donald Trump entirely. It's not about uh, illegal immigration and building a wall and uh, repealing the 14th uh, Amendment. What he has managed to do in just a few short months is break the establishment's control over the nomination process. He has smashed it into a million pieces. He doesn't need George Soros money or the Koch brothers. He doesn't have to go hat in hand to big pharma or insurance companies or the lobbyists. He is entirely without baggage. He's not for sale. Again, you may loathe what comes out of his mouth. But what he is doing is hugely significant. And I have to say, because of this, I am, I'm worried about his safety. He has the unelected oligarchs, the equestrian class, and that includes the owners of the mainstream media. He has them apoplectic. They are apoplectic. And some of them will stop at nothing to prevent someone like the Donald from uh, assuming the reins of power. So uh, in maybe, uh, maybe two, three weeks, we'll do a half hour on, uh, or an hour on that. Uh, we also have September 13th fast approaching. Not just another date on the calendar. Uh, for those of you who have read Rabbi Jonathan Kahn's books, The Harbinger and the Mystery of the Shemitah, and he's been on the program a number of times, and I consider him uh, now to be a, a friend uh, and a bit of a, a spiritual advisor, uh, you know the significance of that day if you follow Rab Rabbi Kahn. I believe September 13th corresponds with the 29th of Elul on the, on the Hebrew calendar. And this marks the end of a... Um, is it the end or the beginning of, of, of a seven-year cycle that is mentioned in the Bible? And, the, and these seven-year cycles, or Shemitahs, are often accompanied by cataclysms, financial, man-made, natural. The stock market, the, the stock market crashes of, of uh, 1929, 30, 1987, 2001, and 2007 and 8, all happened during one of these Shemitahs in and around the, the 29th of Elul. All right, so that's all upcoming. Uh, hey, did you did you read about Morgan Freeman, uh, his uh, step granddaughter, about a week ago? Horrible story. Uh, his great or his granddaughter was fatally stabbed, and it was being reported in the New York Post and elsewhere that her longtime boyfriend Lamar Davenport uh, killed her, stabbed her in what was described as an attempted exorcism because some witness apparently overheard him saying, get out devils, I cast you out devils, in the name of Jesus Christ I cast you out, as he was murdering this poor girl. Now he's been arraigned and he's being held in a psychiatric facility uh, for observation. Based on what I've read, this sounds like a drug-induced, drug-fueled rampage. 
nothing to do with exorcisms and demonic possession. Uh, but whenever you'll notice, whenever these tragedies pop up in the news, it casts a spotlight on this ritual of exorcism. And it is a ritual and it is a sacrament. And for the record, I believe that demonic possession is real. I really do, absolutely. That's where we're going for the next 40 minutes. Archbishop and Chief Exorcist of the Catholic Ministry, Archbishop Ron Fail, is uh, here to discuss demonic possessions, poltergeist activity, and the symptoms of personal hauntings, and how the clergy and exorcist investigators deal with this problem and may be able to help. He is the presiding bishop and chief exorcist of the Order of Exorcists since 1981. That's a long time. The Order of Exorcists is under the independent Old Roman Catholic jurisdiction of the Sacred Order of St. Michael, the Archangel, independent from the Vatican in Rome. The only connection is the... Uh, well, I'll let get him, get him to explain what this is, but it was, um, it was issued by the Roman Catholic Magisterium in uh, the year 2000 and signed by Pope John Paul II on June the 16th, uh, Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger on August 6th, which states, the churches which, for not ex- the churches which, not existing in perfect communion with the Roman Catholic Church, remain united to her by means of the cl- closest bounds, that is, by ap- apostolic secession and a valid Eucharist, are true particular churches. Uh, so in other words, uh, this is, I guess, sort of a sect of the Catholic Church, but not officially in union with the, the Vatican. But there is, uh, they maintain a relationship. Uh, that all being said, let's uh, welcome Archbishop Ron Fail to The Conspiracy Show. Hello, Archbishop. How are you? Yes, hello. How are you? I'm just fine, actually. Very well. Thank you, and I appreciate you joining us again. And uh, there you are on our uh, our Hangout on Air. I'm glad you joined us. Uh, and this is your, your second time on the program. Uh, for those, um, I kind of muddled that up, but explain exactly what the connection is uh, between the, um, well, your organization and the Vatican. Well, our only connection with the Vatican in Rome is that we have apostolic secessions that go through the Roman Church. And because it does, we are recognized, our sacraments are recognized, our rituals and so on, as being valid. So we may not be directly under the Vatican, but we are a traditional old Roman Catholic organization. And we practice all the sacraments, and, uh, and of course... We also perform exorcisms right. when needed. And, and as, does, uh, as does the Vatican. I mean, the Vatican has a chief exorcist. So this isn't, this isn't a schism um, between the old Roman Catholic Church and uh, the Vatican based on this particular ritual, because it exists in both, in both the, the, uh, the Catholic Church and the old Catholic Church, correct? Yeah, that's very true. Um, you know, I, I, I receive lots of criticism because we're not directly under the Vatican. And as such, I'm called all kinds of names, from being a fraud to a, a phony to a fake and, and all these other terrible, horrible names. All I could say is that we've been doing this for, well, almost 40 years now. And as a result, we've helped thousands of people who have reached out asking for our assistance and the thing that we do. Was I correct in describing exorcism as a sacrament? Is it officially one of the sacraments? It is. I, it, we, we, and, and, and it's interesting because as, you, as more and more people get more aware 
of the actual ritual of exorcism. Many, many questions keep coming up. You mentioned um, Morgan Freeman and his step-granddaughter who was, uh, who was stabbed several times. And, and from what I read, uh, it was her boyfriend kept uh, shouting and say, uh, saying something to the effect, I cast you out devils. I cast you out in the name of Jesus Christ, and he kept stabbing her and stabbing until she was dead. That's horrible. Absolutely. And, and everyone's concept of exorcism is totally and completely uh, different. I suppose it's based on your belief systems. But we use the Roman ritual uh, in all our um, ceremonies when it comes to exorcisms, but we don't just do an exorcism because someone has asked us and has informed us that they have uh, some form of demonic attachment or possession. You know, we have to see the proof. So we have a very analytical approach, and as such, we have this organization in place. Uh, I've mentioned this before on the air, but I think it's appropriate to mention so again. uh, A couple of years ago on my television program, I believe it was our first season, we did an episode on demonic possession, and I traveled to Yonkers, New York, and I, I met there a, a New York State-certified um, psychiatrist who claims that he, well, I, I, it's more than a claim. I mean, I, th- I think the evidence is there that he documented what he called, again, this is a, a board-certified psychiatrist, a d- documented what he called an, a- an authentic case of demonic possession. He had a, a, a patient... Uh, who did not respond to any of the traditional um, medications or, or um, sort of psychiatric methods for treating what he thought at initially was a disorder, and he eventually concluded it was an authentic case of demonic possession. A Catholic priest, an exorcist, uh, agreed with that assessment after their lengthy investigation. Uh, but they are they are exceedingly rare. Would you, would you agree with that, um, Archbishop? They, they... Oh, yes, yes. They're very rare. But, you know, the unfortunate thing is that most people, um, they misdiagnose the situation by jumping in and wanting to perform a ritual almost immediately without hearing and, and receiving all the facts. Our organization, we uh, use a very analytical approach. I mean, even before we, we perform any rituals, we do an in-depth investigation. And uh, we have people in our organization that do just that. Uh, We call them our lead uh, investigators. And they go out and they will actually uh, do the first contact on our behalf, and uh, then they will do uh, conduct an an in-depth interview. And we have a 500, uh, I'm sorry, we have a 60-question questionnaire that we we have our investigators uh, follow. So we try to ascertain as much information as possible. All right, we'll take a time out. When we come back, uh, we'll talk about, without mentioning names, obviously, uh, we'll talk about some authentic, quote-end-quote, cases of demonic possession you've been involved with. We'll talk about perhaps some of the signs that a loved one may in fact be possessed and what can be done about it. Archbishop Ron Fail, the presiding bishop and chief exorcist of the Order of Exorcists since 1981, is right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. All right, Archbishop Ron Fail stays with us. We are talking about exorcism. He is the presiding bishop and chief exorcist at the Order of Exorcists. And uh, on the website, Archbishop, I see you are recruiting. You are looking for 
new exorcists. From I mean, from what sort of field do you uh, do you draw upon? Are you looking for seminarians or other priests? What we're doing is we're recruiting people from around the world, and as for clergy, we are looking for Catholic clergy from any jurisdiction who has permission, if they're a priest, from their bishops to join our organization. We're more of an association, if anything else. And when we have a case that's assigned, or rather when a case comes in, I assign the case to a particular uh, group of investigators. They investigate and collect as much evidence as possible regarding the case. If it shows that there's a, uh, a demonic involvement, and then at that point... If it's a possession, we request the physical and psychological examinations. Once those come in, we submit those to our doctors. We have three physicians, two of them are psychiatrists, and they review the reports with their recommendations, and at that point I would, uh, may, uh, I would assign the case to the, uh, uh, to the city where the case has originated from. I would contact the bishop, and the bishop in that jurisdiction would... Uh, contact one of his priests who he has appointed as an exorcist to actually perform the ritual. He would uh, go out and join the investigation team there at the location and actually perform the ritual. The, the so, fact that you are recruiting suggests that the this is a growing problem. Yes, it is. In fact, we, we, we're seeing so many cases are coming in from around the world that we don't have enough priests or investigators to cover the cases. So there's quite a few people that we're not able to help. Uh, at the present time, we're in 24 countries and 17 U.S. states. Um, but we need a lot more. There's like 290 countries in the world. We're receiving requests from Jamaica, from, um, from Jerusalem, from, uh, from Greece. We, we have no clergy in those countries. We need... Uh, clergy in Russia. We need, uh, we need them all over the world, actually. And then we need to have investigators to do the actual demonic investigation and assessment on our behalf. And once the reports are submitted, then we could take it from there. So we're looking for experienced lead. They could be lead paranormal investigators who have experience in collecting information and who are open to receive our training in our process of demonic investigation and assessment. If they're willing to do that, willing to join our organization, then we would train them. Uh, we train them for, uh, for uh, uh, a year-round training. We, we ask them to help support us by uh, paying for a $65 membership fee for the whole year, and then their training is free. And, of course, that, since we're a nonprofit organization, that's the only support we receive. I'm guessing that, that exorcism is not a... Uh is not for the frail. Uh, would you, do you have to be young and in good shape in order to perform an exorcism? You have to be called by God to do this Certainly, type of ministry. Yes. It's a Certainly. specialty. Yes, but above not and beyond everyone, that. Not, not every priest, bishop uh, can actually do this ritual unless they're truly called by God. This is a specialty, as I said. And once they, are, they have that calling, then they would seek the training. If they're a priest, they have to um, have their bishop contact us, and the bishop has to be willing to appoint their priest as the exorcist for that particular jurisdiction slash diocese. If that be the case, then we would, uh, we would receive the priests uh, into our order. We would train them in demonic assessment, 
And the priests would only get involved in these cases when we need them to perform the actual ritual. Um, all the work is basically done, all the investigation work and, uh, and reports that are submitted are done by our lead investigators and their teams. Uh, and then that's who we rely on. So our, our organization uh, compiles of clergy and laity. The laity are our investigators. They're the ones that do the first contact and submit the reports to us and to, to see whether or not we have a valid case. Right. But the spiritual component, obviously, you know, that, that has to be there. But I guess what I was asking was, um, when, you are in, uh, when you encounter, when an exorcist encounters someone who is possessed, uh, and, and I'm, I'm going from descriptions that I've had from uh, exorcists, but also, you know, what's in the, in, the, in, in the popular culture, in the movies and so forth. I would think that Someone involved in an exorcist, you know, would be called upon, to, you know, to to, re, to physically restrain uh, someone who's possessed. I mean, again, th- this is not for the frail or or weak. Well, actually, taking this from taking this from a genuine, um, authentic point of view, um, an exorcism is not done as and that ritual is done as a last resort we have to make sure that we have the evidence in place the people that will be present will be the investigators of that team along with the clergy the clergy is never alone the clergy is always with at least four to five different team members that will be there present the person who is possessed and this is once we have sufficient evidence that there is a true demonic possession, and we are not dealing with a psychosis, uh, then once we know and we, are, we have the evidence, then we will uh, do what we have to do to perform the ritual. The victim is bound to the bed or bound to, to the chair, and we make sure that the victim is secure, because all types of things could happen. If the person is truly possessed by the demonic, the person may show incredible strength. They may show incredible uh, abilities to do things that would fall under the supernatural. And I'm not just talking about things flying around in the room, because that happens anyway. But I'm talking about the ability where they could um, try to deceive not only the clergy that is performing the ritual, but try to deceive everyone in the room, and will pick somebody in the room and start talking to that individual as if, as, if, uh, as if the demon knew that individual on a first-name basis and, and would tell all its secrets. And then it would look for the weakest link in the room, and it will go after that person. The demonic is very aggressive, but even before it, it, it shows itself, and it shows its physical manifestation through the body of the, pres- uh, of the person that's being possessed, it will first try to hide itself. It doesn't want anyone to see it. It doesn't even want you to know that it's there. In fact, it will do anything and everything it can to convince you that the person is okay, that there's no reason to have uh, this ritual. There's no reason to have the company of our investigators and our clergy. It will try to convince everyone in the room that it's perfectly okay. And this is how it would deceive. It does lots of deceiving, lots of lying, and lots of misdirection. It will try to um, to take your attention away from the from the task at hand by having things fly around in the room, by having other things that t- would take place that would 
definitely take your mind off what you're trying to do. When performing this ritual, the clergy has to be extremely focused. And the people around or in the presence in the room, which in most cases would be the investigators, they too have to be on point. And they have to not try to be distracted because the demonic will try to distract you. Oh, yes. And, have you, and have as you a witnessed... result, people could get hurt. Yes. Um, as you probably read my story a couple of years ago, I was physically attacked yes. by a demonic entities as I was performing a ritual of exorcism. It landed me in the hospital for a month. I was in intensive care, and after three operations, I still have the residual effect as to what took place in that particular uh, situation. Um, right now, I'm, my physical exterior is, um, is declining. My, my hearing loss is also uh, very evident. I, I hear this constant ringing in my ears, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, can't sleep. It's very hard for me to concentrate on exactly what I'm doing. Fortunately, in our organization, I have a lot of wonderful, dedicated people that are willing to step up. If we need an exorcism to take place in Washington, we have people in Washington. If we need in New York, we have people in New York. If we need an exorcism or an investigation for an assessment done in the U.K., we have people there. We have people in Poland. We have people in Africa. We have people in India. All these people are tied into our organization. Right. Once I receive the request from someone who either sees um, a show such as yours or maybe some of our bulletins that are, that are on Facebook or other material on the Internet, they would contact us, and I would receive the request, and then at that point I would see who I have in that particular city, state, or country. At that point I would make the assignment to the lead uh, exorcist, or rather to the lead investigator for that particular town. Okay, I want to, if I could jump in here, Archbishop, I, I want to ask you a couple of pointed questions. One, um, I need you to sort of separate uh, Hollywood mythos from reality. Uh, do victims of demonic possession, and have you witnessed victims of demonic possession, levitate? Oh, yes, of course. Um, I've, I've been doing this for like 37 years. A long time. In those 37 years, I've seen this happen at least a half a dozen times, uh, where people have actually raised their entire body, actually, actually raised from the bed. I've actually seen the bed elevate a couple of feet uh, with witnesses. You know, the room is filled with witnesses. We have our investigators. We have everyone, uh, you know, at point and witnessing uh, these events. How about... Uh, that's only the tip of the iceberg. Now, okay. Now, Everything you see in the movies, okay, that's, that's done for entertainment value. But what really goes behind closed doors in a real exorcism, you will never see. All you right. will never see because it's just not meant for it to be seen by anyone except the people who are directly involved. Understood. Do you, should we attribute or can we attribute the rise in demonic activity and the need? As you say, you're recruiting new exorcists. There's a problem here. Is there a problem? Because, I mean, obviously, you can't turn on a television. Uh, half the shows now, it seems, on cable networks are devoted. This program is devoted uh, to this uh, sort of thing, but we're trying to raise awareness here. Uh, you can't turn on the TV without seeing programs, you know, zombies and, and uh, ghost hauntings and ghost hunting uh, shows. Uh, 
the, the you know the proliferation of, of uh, Ouija boards. They're sold as toys in in department stores. Is is the fact that it, that this activity is being reflected in the culture in pop culture? Is that giving rise to an increase in genuine demonic activity? Yes, of course. Demonic influence is all around us. It's on the Internet. It's on TV. It's on the radio. It's on um, in the regular media, social media, of course. But you see, the thing is, it's, it's, it's gradually... Uh, it, there's a gradual delivery system. You won't even know that it's of a demonic influence. You'll just simply accept it as part of your environment, part of what you're going through in life. Demonic oppression, for example, that occurs, and it's, it's such a, a delicate, soft, slow process. The person wouldn't even know that the, the thought that was implanted in his mind was from, uh, from an outside source other than his own. Um, as a result, um, these demonic influence, these ideas will come into a person's head. Um, it's all around us. There's no escaping it. It's all part of the scenario. And the whole thing is that most of the people who are skeptics and who will not believe, they will probably be the first ones that will be touched by the demonic in some fashion. And they will never know that it was actually done or from the demonic. They would think it's, it's just something that, uh, that, that, that just happens uh, to be in their life. And as a result, they have to deal with it. Uh, little do they know that this is the whole plan of Satan is to is to attack us in so many different fashions. You know, I talked about demonic possession, but there's also demonic oppression. There's demonic infestation, which is another very common, more common than possession, and that's where the demonics have the room of a space house. Uh, and as a result, you know, they will be in that house. Some people may view it as a haunting, but the reality is, it could be perhaps maybe invited in by some, either intentionally or unintentionally, through a Ouija board, maybe through some other uh, means of opening that door. And as a result, they welcome the demonic into their space. All right. Once we'll take that a... happens, they have all kinds of problems. We will take a time out. We'll come back. Archbishop Ron Fail is here talking about the Holy Sacrament of exorcism and demonic possession. We'll talk about some specific cases when we come back. My name is Richard Serrett, and you are listening to The Conspiracy Show. Uh, welcome back. Archbishop Ron Fail is with us, and uh, the Order of Exorcists are building an army of God. They are recruiting exorcists, and you can find out more details at the website, uh, www.orderofexorcists.com. Uh, Richard Gallagher, Dr. Richard E. Gallagher was the name of the uh, psychiatrist. His name escaped me, but uh, I met with him in, uh, in New York State. Uh, he described this case of an authentic demonic possession, and um, he put me in touch. Uh, this is a very secretive uh, meeting we had. He put me in touch with the uh, the attending exorcist uh, who was uh, in New York City. So one night around midnight, I get this call from New York City, and it was the the priest, the exorcist, on the other end of the of the line. the um, The first order of business before we started talking about this case was he he said this prayer. He said, you know, when you start talking about these things, you open yourselves up to a potential uh, oppression or possession. And uh, so he thought it was important to begin our conversation with a prayer. Uh, the fact that you and I are talking about this and people are listening to this, is there any danger, uh, Archbishop? Of course. There's dangers all around, all around us. 
we don't have to be talking about it. They're just still there. <laughs> the demonic is always here with us. But 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 He's specifically, do we increase the danger? Do we increase the risk by discussing it? This this conversation. The risk was increased when you were born into this world, and then from that point on, you've been exposed to it. The the evil of this world has been existing from the beginning of time. Be, before the time anyone was born, and will will continue to be here until God uh, finally ends this whole uh, battle, if you will. This battle has been going on for the longest time. And the dialogue we're having now, the more you understand and acknowledge the fact that the demonic does exist, yes, you're going to be open to it. Yes, you're going to probably see things you've never seen before. But at the same token, that's your cue to get close to God. Because with God, you could not only protect yourself, but you'll learn to survive uh, in this battle of good versus evil. Well, uh, you, you, you said something I think is very important. You will see things you have never seen before. And uh, this, was, this came to me again from uh, Dr. Richard Gallagher, this psychiatrist, who said he was on the phone uh, with this priest that I mentioned, uh, talking about this particular case. Uh, the priest was in a remote location somewhere, I think, on, uh, in, down in Florida and uh, on vacation, and uh, Dr. Gallagher was in his office in New York, and all of a sudden, during the conversation, this woman's voice interrupted. She was now on the phone with them. I mean, that's one of the supernatural things that you discussed. Can you share with our, our audience, and some of them are unbelieving, Share some of the things that you have personally witnessed that would sort of fall into this category of the supernatural that involved a demonic possession. Okay, first of all, the story you just told is a common one. It does happen to us uh, who are in this ministry. I was on the phone, this was like six months ago. I was on the phone with one of our priests from back east, and we were talking about a case that he was working on, him and his team, and as a result, as we're talking, somebody actually interrupted as if we were talking on a third-party line and started talking to us and calling us by our first names. We never use first names, by the way. You know, I'm Archbishop File. Uh, this is Father So-and-so. We never use first names. Um, this person comes on the line, calls us by our first names, and starts talking about the case. Now, at that point, you know, I was stunned for about 30 seconds and uh, so was the, the priest I was talking with. And so I, I stopped the individual and said, who is this, you know, and, and how did you get on this line? You know, because this isn't a party line. And it just broke right in. And it's voice, again, you know, as you see in the Hollywood movies, you know, with the, the, the deep, growling voice. Well, that's exactly what the voice that was on the phone. <laughs> and it's so funny because... Uh, it started talking about details about the case that we were discussing. And again, um, we did not discuss any details as to what, what the particular case was over the phone. And, you know, all our cases are confidential. They're not open for public display. So as a result, the only people that are familiar with what is going on or what's taking place in the case would be the investigators and, of course, the clergy. And so this person just went on and on, and then he started using profanity, and at that point, uh, the priest, Becky, and I decided to just hang up, and that's exactly what we did. That's just one situation, and, and that's not the first time that's happened, but that was the first time that we were identified by our first names, and this person started talking as if he knew us, 
as if he knew what we had for breakfast. It was just incredible the way his, the way he just basically uh, just went into the conversation. Let me let me share another um, story from Dr. Gallagher, the psychiatrist. Uh, again, dealing with this patient who had been involved in a satanic cult and uh, in you know drug use and gang uh, you know gang relations and so forth uh, when she came to him. Uh, and this, again, was what he described as an authentic case of demonic possession. Uh, one night he was uh, at home in his uh, house with his wife, and his two cats started fighting on the foot of the bed. Uh, these were cats that had grown up with each other and had uh, you know, lived very harmoniously in the house. All of a sudden now they were fighting. And I don't know if you, you know, people who have heard cats fighting, it's an ungodly sound. I mean, it, it, it's frightening, actually, to hear the sound of cats fighting. And he was very disturbed. Uh, the next day, uh, he had an appointment with this the same woman, and the first thing that she said to him was, how did you like those cats last night? Uh, can you relate to that? Uh, anything sort of similar happened to you? Demonic possession is not only for, uh, not only people are possessed by, or can be open and possessed by the demonic, but also our animals can also be possessed, which means their behavior would be quite strange. Uh, no doubt, very aggressive, and and, and that's that's very well known. It's a well known fact. Um, but I I would like to also share with you um, uh, the thing that I do is I look at assessments. I look at what our investigators taped uh, as they were doing a walkthrough and actually doing uh, the actual demonic assessment, and then they send me their reports and I review their CDs. I'm looking at the CD and understand. The, uh, the investigation was a month ago, and I'm looking at this, 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 uh, uh, this assessment, and I do this in front of my computer. So I'm looking at my monitor, and I'm looking at all the action, and then I actually witness a demonic entity that actually took place and was actually part of the whole scenario as, I, as I'm looking at the screen intensely. I felt a surge come from the keys of my computer. It threw me back to the back of my chair and then I realized I had a stinging sensation. I lifted my shirt and there was five fingers and a palm right on my side. Now this was the same side that I was struck a couple of years ago when I was attacked by the demonic. It was my left side. I went to the hospital that evening and uh, to find out, you know, if it was a blood clog, it just so happens that the shape was the palm of a hand. Oh, my word. Listen, I've got to jump in here, Archbishop. Apologies. We'll finish that story on the other side. Archbishop File is with us, presiding bishop and a chief exorcist of the Order of Exorcists. They are building a god or an army for God. More details at orderofexorcists.com. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Uh, one of the uh, stories we have up on the slide carousel at richardserrett.com is, um, well... Destination America, a.k.a. the network dedicated to all American entertainment, is going to host the first live televised exorcism in U.S. history, aptly titled Exorcism Live. Uh, That'll take place Friday, October the 30th, just in time for Halloween. It was announced Thursday at the Television Critics Association Summer Press Tour in Beverly Hills. Well, how about that? An exorcism. Uh, I'm sure, Archbishop, uh, that doesn't sit well with you. What are your thoughts? Well, it's Hollywood. That's all I have to say. It's Hollywood. It's it's sensationalizing something that is of as it should be a, a very private matter. Um, this is a personal 
experience that individual has to go through. It's the lowest point of their life. It is they're actually walking through the shadows of death. They are uh, being tormented physically, mentally, and as a result, to put it on TV, I, I think um, if it was genuine, I think it would be totally unheard of. I don't believe anyone who was truly possessed um, would even have knowledge or, or consent to something like that. I'm certainly sure the family members would never consent to that. I was reading a little bit about that program that's going to be on on the 30th, and it's my understanding that it was going to be in the house where the actual uh, case uh, where the movie was based on, The Exorcist. Ah. And I, was, I, I read further that uh, they're going to do something in regards to uh, performing a, an exorcism on a demonic structure, that is the house itself, not a, an individual or a person. Now, this is what I read. I, now, I, mm. no, I, I could be off, I could be mistaken, but I believe that's the, the gist of it. I can't imagine that the, anyone from the Catholic clergy would be involved, uh, would be a participant in this television fiasco. I, you know, I, I don't believe so. I, I, honestly, um, I read that there will be a psychic medium present, mm. and there will be some other people um, basically representing, I believe, the New Age movement. In any case, I don't believe it's going to be of, of a Catholic slash uh, Christian ritual. Right. Uh, right. But, uh, and it's not going to be on a, a personal possession case. It's going to be on the house. And that's what I read. Now, okay. I, I could be mistaken, but that's, I just read that uh, I, just a little while ago. Archbishop, I wanted to ask you, uh, I, I don't know if you have any knowledge of what's going on down in the city of Detroit. Uh, recently, they unveiled a statue um, dedicated to, uh, um, I'm not sure if it was uh, uh, Bophomet or, or uh, Baal, the god Baal, uh, Baal rather. Um, but they, unlo- they unveiled this, this demonic statue. Uh, in Detroit. And um, I was at a gathering recently. I'm told that a number of people came in from Detroit and they say that there are, there's all sorts of satanic activity going on in Detroit, satanic churches. What are you hearing? What do you know about what's going on in, in Detroit? What's going on in Detroit is going on in every state of the Union. It's what's going on in Detroit is going in every, every country, if you will. Right now we have the advancement of of watching it all take place through the Internet. We're able to see things that we never were able to see uh, 50 years ago. As a result, we're seeing these things for, as, as if we're seeing it for the first time. The reality is that there always have been places where statues, satanic rituals, black masses have been performed in the United States as well as Canada, as, well as Canada and the U.K. This is a common phenomenon that has taken place and I'm going to say from the beginning of, well, from the beginning of time. So there's nothing, there's nothing special or unusual going on. This is all part of the demonic influence that I spoke about earlier. Um, we're going to be seeing more and more of these things happen. And as we do, um, uh, there's very little we could do about it. It's the sign of the times. Uh, if and, someone is um, possessed, um, is there a point at which time they are too far gone. Let's say they have lived with this for 20, 30 years. Maybe they've been languishing in, a, in a, some sort of a mental institution. People thought they were mentally ill. In fact, they were possessed. Is there a sort of a point of no return where that person is a lost cause? I don't believe that uh, God knows or even knows the term lost cause is. 
I believe everyone has the possibility of having the opportunity to be saved. Um, in, um, if a person has been involved and, and has been tormented for 20, 30, 40 years and has been locked up in a, in a mental institution, um, if the person has the ability, even briefly, to be elusive and say he wants help and request an organization such as ours, we would be there in a flash. And yes, that person can be helped. But are there some they cases... Have to be, they have to have the ability to say that they want to be helped. Right, right. It, uh, are there cases that, that have taken more than... that have taken numerous attempts, um, numerous exorcisms to be performed in, in order for that person to be set free, if I can use that term? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, well, we have a couple of cases now that have been worked on for a couple of years now. Um, well, part of the ritual is we have to um, not only provoke the demonic entity that that dwells within the person, but we have to ad- have that person identify itself. The entity has to identify itself by name, and at that point, then we could uh, work on that particular demonic entity. If it's a multiple possession where there's multiple demons, we have to do the ritual over and over and over again until we tire that demon out. When we wear the demon out to a point where it's, it's where we put it in torment by the word of God, by using the sacraments that we have, by using holy water and holy oil and and salt and and continuous prayers on a repetitious fashion, it will. It will um, totally and completely uh, put the demonic uh, uh, in a defensive mode, and at that point, it would it would just simply uh, become tormented as we continue the prayers, and then at that point, it will finally give its name up. And at that point, when we could finish the ritual, and we could command it to come out in the name of Christ. Why is it the multiple demonic situation? Mm-hmm. We have to repeat the same ritual over and over and over again. It can take, it could take, uh, well, as I said, a couple of years, you know, and this is like three or four times uh, a week visit in My doing word. the same ritual over and over and over again. So, uh, it, you know, it, it, could take, it could take three hours to have someone delivered, or it could take someone over two years. And the, and the turning point is once the demon gives up its name, that's it. They, it, once he gives up his name, first of all, in the very, very first portion of the encounter, it's going to try to make you believe that it's not there. It's going to try to hide itself deep within that individual. So the exorcist has to do all he can to provoke this demon by using sacramentals. And as a result, the demon will slowly come out and identify itself, and then maybe not by name, but at least by, by its presence. By, you can see by the manifestations of it. Hmm. At that point, then you start drilling it, and that's what you're doing. Basically, you're drilling it into, uh, and, you're, and you're actually uh, interrogating it to a point, and you're asking for its name. Then it gives its name. It's a long, dragged-out process, but it has to be done by the numbers. Where, where does it go once it leaves the body? Once you've set that person free, it, the, 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 the demon gives up its name. Where does demon, it go? The demon gives up its name and, and, and it comes out of the individual, I like to think it goes to hell. But however, if the person that has been delivered does not change uh, his or her lifestyle and, and continues to, to do the same reckless behavior as, as 
he or she did before we got involved, then the demon will come back. Not only the one, but it will come back with many demons. And then we'll have a multiple possession uh, of demonic possession in our hands, which means that the situation would have been escalated and it'd be more severe. So, uh, and we instruct, you know, um, the people, our victims, uh, what they should do to, to have a closer relationship with God and to fill that, that void in their life. Because once the demonic is out, there's a void that's still emptied in their life, and they have to have that filled with something. And this is where their behavior modification would take place. Are you able to catch a glimpse of, of the demon as it's leaving the body? I have seen uh, I have seen demons uh, come out of walls. I've seen demons walking, okay, in, in rooms filled with demons, with demonic entities. And their description is more like a, a gray, dried face with, with always a black hood. It seems like they, they love the black hood thing. But I've seen, in a, in a demonic infestation, I've seen what appeared to be the, the likeness of a demon, and it was not one but many in one place. So I've actually seen the demon. Now, have I actually seen the demon come out of an individual? No, I have not, but I have sensed it because something happens. The, the person, the victim, has uh, there's a complete transformation. The victim um, regains their color. Uh, sometimes you can smell a, a sweet aroma. Um, the, the victim becomes, you know, confused but yet relieved. And, and uh, so, so there's a big transformation that takes place once the demonic leaves the individual, so you, you would know. But to actually see the embodiment of the demon come out, I have never seen that. I'm not going to say it's not possible, because in dealing with these matters, anything is possible. Dealing with the demonic, anything is possible. So I, I never rule out anything. Uh, Archbishop Vale, could you leave us with a, with a closing prayer as we, uh, as we close the program? I sure can. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Father in heaven, I pray that everyone who hears my voice may take to heart the reality of the words that I have spoken. I pray that each person who may need our help may call us and may receive your relief and your blessing. I pray that you be with us. Help us to be aware of the reality of the demonic and help us to gain the knowledge we need to protect ourselves. I pray this, dear Lord, in your name, in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for uh, spending time with us, and uh, I wish you well and many years. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Orderofexorcists.com. They're recruiting an army for God, folks, and uh, if you're a seminarian or a priest, uh, they need you. We all need you. My thanks to our new technical producer, Ian Robertson. Good job. Albert Vinzel, as always. And all of you for listening. Back next week with a brand new program. It'll be a good one. I'll guarantee that. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing hidden. There's nothing... Sorry, I've forgotten that. I've been thrown. That's perhaps the devil uh, trying to intercede in this program. You've heard it before. You know the drill. All right, we'll leave it at that. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home.
I can't believe I forgot that. Happy birthday to you. Hey, Bye. where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.